little different tonight than anything I've ever preached or I think than anything you've ever heard. I believe the Holy Ghost gave me this message. Uh, but first of all, I want to say something about the promises of God uh, and something that God showed me about that because pastor's been preaching on, on the promises of God. And I told you this morning that the Lord told me I could have got my paid-for house a lot quicker if I'd have found a scripture. Well, the basis for that is this. And Pastor said it this morning, but I just want to expound on it. He said, God doesn't hasten over your word to perform it. He hastens over His. And what the Holy Spirit showed me in my life that I could, and this is what I had been doing. I would say, thank you, Lord, I have a paid-for house. I have a paid-for house. Thank you, Lord, I have a paid-for house. And here's what the Lord showed me. He said, Debbie, that's your word. And because you're created in my image, you're created and you have creative ability. And that I feel like this is really hot tonight. And you have, you have creative ability. And so you can speak things into existence that way and eventually you can get it. But he said you'll get it a whole lot faster if you get over on my word because I hasten over my word to perform it. So in every area of my life, I'm endeavoring to find a specific scripture, not just, oh, yeah, 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 my God supplies all my need. We've talked about that before. I'm t I've been asking the Holy Spirit to show me a specific scripture for, for the things I'm believing for. If it's a car, I'm, gonna look, I'm looking for a specific scripture. Hallelujah. A rhema, if you would. A rhema word. Not just a logos, but a rhema word from heaven on that. And so that's how I found the word on breakthrough. And that's how I found the, uh, you know, and you listen also during the messages. One of the way we got the word on property is turning on the TV when we were in Monroe, Louisiana on our way to Brother Copeland's meetings and heard Joel Osteen use that scripture and say that's how he got the omni was with that scripture. I said, well, praise God, I take that scripture too. Hallelujah. And so, so but I tell you, that is a very important key. Because you can walk around saying, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed. And you can create with your words. And certainly we need to say, I'm healed. But you'll get there faster if you get over on His Word. And that's why that Keith Moore book was good about the scriptures for specific parts of your body. And we're out of those. We need to order some more. But anyway, some of you got those. And, um, and, uh, uh, and, uh, and so we can walk around saying, I'm debt free, I'm debt free, I'm debt free. But find a scripture. Find something, and it may be something God speaks to you. It doesn't even have to say anything necessarily about debt. I remember one time I was uh, believing for a car, and uh, the Lord gave me a scripture in Nehemiah, and it didn't even say anything about car, of course, but it said, and the king granted you according to the God, God's good hand upon you. And I just, I just knew that was my scripture for that car. And the king granted you according to God's good hand. And so I began to speak with that. I said, oh, thank you, Lord. This car's been granted me according to God's good hand upon me. Hallelujah. I'm going to begin to speak that. He hastens over it to perform it. You're going to get it faster if you get you a scripture. Hallelujah. And so some of us have even had a scripture, but maybe we hadn't been speaking it as much. Amen. So that's that subject, but now we're going to go to a whole different subject. Amen. But I just I just had that, and it was so, it, to me, it helped my, me so much, I wanted to share it with you. Tonight I'm going to talk about the defeat of perfectionism. <clears throat> and I know that sounds really strange, Especially coming from me, because I really believe in excellence. I really, really, really believe in excellence. And I think that we should be excellent. I believe we serve an excellent God. And I believe that we, the, uh, Paul said, I press towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And I believe that pressing is, is that we're pressing to be all that God created us to be and pressing to be all that He desires us to be and pressing to be all that He is because He's in us. Amen? So I believe in excellence, but uh, there's a balance. There's a balance that we need to come into in the body of Christ. So I want to talk about perfectionism tonight. And I want you to turn first to Hebrews chapter 11. Right. Amen? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. <clears throat> and if you'll just st stay with me tonight, because I don't even like to title things negative, and that sounds a little negative, the defeat of perfectionism. I don't like to use titles like that, but if you'll bear with me tonight, I believe this will really help you uh, in your life. In Hebrews 11, uh, verse 4, but first let me say this before we read. I want to tell you that the Bible is a story of people that fall short of perfectionism. They fall short of perfection. Everybody, every story in this book, the people fall short of perfection. And yet, we hear the story of how they got the job done. 
and they weren't perfect. We see King David's failures. We see all these people's failures. And so let's look in Hebrews 11 verse 4. By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. By faith Noah, being warned of God, of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed and he went out not knowing whither he went. So we've read about several men here already in the book of Hebrews and we know they were very imperfect. We know Noah got drunk that he was very imperfect. We know Abraham was imperfect. We know that his mistakes, we're still, pay, we're still having to pay somewhat today because of Ishmael. Hallelujah. So we know he was very imperfect, but look at all God was able to do and use him for, and look at what God used Noah for and how he was able to use him. Look in verse 11. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. We know Sarah was very imperfect. In fact, when God told her the promise, she laughed. And then, not only that, he said, you laughed. And she said, no, I didn't. She lied about laughing. <laughs> Hallelujah. She was very imperfect. But, uh, but she was very successful, too. She had a lot of success. I mean, she's our mother of faith in the Bible, isn't she? And it says, but the key here, the key to her is in this verse where it says, she judged him faithful who had promised. She judged him faithful who have promised. Uh, look in uh, verse 20, drop down again. And look, by faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith Jacob, when he was a dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning upon the top of his staff. By faith Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. By faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians, assaying to do, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. By faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah, of David also and Samuel and of the prophets. And so we see this list and these people and you notice here that all God does is talk about the things they accomplished. He never points out the fact that they were so imperfect and yet we know from reading the stories of them in the Old Testament that they were very, very imperfect people. We know, of course, that Jacob was imperfect. In fact, his name meant usurper. We know Esau was very imperfect. We know that, that Abraham was not perfect. We know that uh, Joseph was not a perfect man and we know his mistakes. We know the fact that he bragged to his older brothers and, and uh, got out ahead of God concerning the vision. Moses, so imperfect that he murdered an Egyptian. Hallelujah. Y'all know about Moses. And um, uh, then we, you can just go on... Um, but boy, it went up. we read a long time about all the accomplishments of Moses. I mean, he had a lot of accomplishments, and yet he was a very imperfect person. I would say a murderer's kind of imperfect, wouldn't you? I mean, most of us can't even say, well, you know, I, I've been there. We, I mean, we can't even say that. But he, was, he, he, he accomplished a lot for God. And even look in verse 29, it says, By faith they passed through the Red Sea. All those complaining Israelites that we know they were so imperfect, they were complaining about the quail, and they was complaining about the manna, and they was complaining about everything. But guess what? He, God just points out the fact that even though they were imperfect, that they, by faith, they passed through the Red Sea. Hallelujah. They accomplished something for God. Uh, then he goes, 
goes on to talk about the people that, uh, that walked around the walls of Jericho and, and those walls that came down and they were imperfect people. And then the next person he talks about, you talk about imperfect, there's a key word in there that tells us this woman was so imperfect, the word is harlot. She is an imperfect woman, and yet she uh, has a... She actually, you can go over into Matthew, and you can see that she's in the lineage of Jesus Christ. She became... uh, uh, She's in the line. She's one of Jesus's in his line, in in the lineage of Jesus. So so God uses imperfect people, and um, she wasn't perfect. And then uh, uh, we know Gideon wasn't perfect, that he had a pitiful self-image and uh, had no self-confidence. Barak was so weak that he said, I can't even go do this unless a woman goes with me. Had to take Deborah with him. Y'all know, you know who I'm talking about. And uh, then Samson, hey, how about imperfect? Hey, he had a stronghold in his life, this thing he had for Delilah. Yeah, and uh, then uh, uh, David, uh, I'm, I can't, Jephthah, I know he was, I can't tell you the story of Jephthah right now, it's not on the tip of my tongue. But anyway, David, we know he's an adulterer and a murderer. And look all that they accomplished for God. And like I said, the key being there in 11, 11b, which says, because she judged him faithful who had promised. All these people judging God faithful who had promised. Not perfect, but perfect promises. Hallelujah. Perfect promises, which goes back to what pastor's been preaching on. Not perfect, but perfect promise, promises. How many times is our faith aborted because we see our own imperfections? When we focus on our imperfections, we're not walking in the Spirit as we're instructed to do. In fact, walking in the Spirit, which we are instructed to do, implies that I am totally focused on my spirit man. I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm totally focused on God, but when I look at myself, I don't, I disregard my flesh. I disregard my soul. I'm totally focused on the spirit man in me. I'm totally focused on the fact that I, who I am in Christ, that I am complete in Christ. I cannot walk in the spirit if I'm focused on my mind, my will, my emotions, my feelings. If I'm focused on my physical body, I am not walking in the Spirit. Amen. Hallelujah. So um, we cannot focus that way. Uh, Paul wasn't perfect. How many of you know Paul wasn't perfect? Nor did he have perfect circumstances. Another thing that sometimes we use to disqualify ourselves is the fact that we don't have perfect circumstances. But we've read the list. I'm not going to take time tonight of how Paul was beaten with rods, how he was shipwrecked several times, how he spent a night in the deep. I mean, he didn't have very good circumstances, did not have perfect circumstances, wrote part of the New Testament as he was a prisoner in prison, always getting stoned, left for dead once, always always having these negative circumstances and not perfect circumstances, not a perfect man, and yet God, look what God used uh, him to do. You know, it's really not about us. It's about what God can do through us. Really, it's just about being a vessel. That's really all it's about. It has little to do with how you failed. That's why, you know, we're really, I don't know if you realize this, maybe some of you do and maybe some of you don't, but our church, by God's design, we didn't do it, has become a repair shop for ministers that are broke down. God's been bringing them in. God's been bringing them in because we because because making a mistake doesn't disqualify you from God using you. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay. Uh, uh, remember um, where Paul said uh, he said I I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I've kept the faith. You know we're not called to do everything perfectly, but what we're called to do is finish. We're called to finish. And so many people because of perfectionism. In their lives, they abort the plan of God. They don't finish because everything's not going perfectly and they didn't do everything perfectly. So we're going to talk about that in depth tonight. Um, <clears throat> the word perfect in the King James is used a lot. I looked in some other versions like the Amplified, for instance. And what the Amplified Bible does, some of you may not realize this, but the Amplified takes the Greek word or the Hebrew word and it actually kind of puts the definition of that word in parentheses. And so when you're looking up in the concordance, it was a lot of years before there was a concordance for an Amplified Bible, but now there is. And that was one of the greatest days of my life is when I found that there was a concordance for the Amplified Bible. Because you know you never could find any of those scriptures you liked so much in the, unless you just remembered where they were. And so um, 
When you look up the word perfect in the Amplified Bible, you can find it doesn't occur many times. That a lot of times what the King James translators translated as perfect, that's not really the best translation. That, that's really not what it means. It actually means, it means uh, uh, complete, entire. And so in the Amplified Bible, it will translate the word perfect as complete, entire. And entire. It also is, uh, I believe Joe Morris gave us this definition for perfect was wholehearted which we talked a lot this year about being wholehearted. See, your spirit man has been made perfect. When we want to talk about perfect, we can talk about perfect because your spirit man is perfect. A lot of people don't understand spirit, soul, and body, so they say, I'm not perfect. But the truth is, the real man, the real you is perfect, and that's the only person God's considering is the real you is the spirit man. He's t people are going to heaven based on their spirit man, not based on their flesh, their works, their body, the deeds of the flesh. They're not going. There's no people in hell because they're murderers. There's no people in hell because they're uh, child abusers. They're in hell because they're not new creations in Christ. Amen? And so God's looking totally and completely on the spirit man, and you are perfect. You are a perfect being. Turn to Hebrews 12, 23. You're right there. Just turn over a page or two. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Hebrews 12, 23. Now, we, as we rightly divide the word of truth here, it says, um, <clears throat> here's a scripture that shows us something. It says, uh, To the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven. That's us, the church of the firstborn. And to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. See, he's not talking about men that are perfect. He's talking about the spirits. You've got to see that word in there, the spirits of just men made perfect. We are those people. We are the just men who our, whose spirits have been made perfect. Boy, in the flesh, we are imperfect. We ought to be a lot more forgiving of each other and lenient towards each other because my flesh is not perfect, my, my soul is not perfect, my, my mind, will, and emotions, my feelings, all of those things are imperfect. I may say the wrong thing, but uh, hallelujah, but I'm perfect on the inside and so are you. Hallelujah. And God says, no, those are just men made perfect. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, if we're perfect enough for God, we ought to be perfect enough for each other. Isn't that the truth? Uh, <clears throat> see, if we're more focused on the imperfections of our body, and you know, a lot of, we, we live in a society today that's totally, nearly totally focused on body. Hallelujah. And if we're focused on more on the imperfections of our body, or if we're focused on the imperfections of our soul realm, or even our circumstances, then we are opposing ourselves. You know, there's a scripture in Timothy that talks about those that oppose themselves. In other words, opposing yourself means defeating yourself. You can be defeating yourself. And not, you don't, the devil's not defeating you, you're defeating yourself. Why are you opposing yourself? Because you're focused on imperfections in your body. You're focused on the imperfections in your soul realm. Hallelujah. And you can miss the plan of God because you're focused. You say, well, man, I don't qualify. God can ask you to do something. Well, how could he use me? Look. I'm not tall enough, I'm not short enough, I'm not, I'm not skinny enough, or I'm not fat enough. I don't know if anybody ever said that. Surely they didn't. But <laughs> I'm not fat enough. Never heard that one. But, uh, but, well, actually they have. Actually they have. I mean, there's been women thought they was too skinny. You know? Hallelujah. Uh, so um, <clears throat> we can miss the plan of God and we can fail to finish our course. 1 Corinthians 13.10. Let's look at that scripture. Now, hallelujah, we look forward to a day when we're going to be perfect in our bodies. We're going to have perfect bodies. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Boy, that's going to be an exciting day, isn't it? I don't know, I don't know if we're going to actually be skinnier or heavier or, or, or better noses or if we're just going to all look at each other. We're going to so see each other in Christ that we don't even see that. I mean, I don't know what it is, but it's perfect. You know, I just know that. 1 Corinthians 13, 10 says, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. You know, uh, here we're talking about, actually, really, to be specifically, it's talking about when we will, when, when Jesus, Jesus is the only perfect one now. He's the only one perfect spirit, soul, and body. We're only perfect in spirit. And we deal with imperfections in our body. We deal with imperfections in our soul. 
But we have the Spirit in us to overcome those imperfections in our body and in our soul. We're not supposed to be living according to the flesh. We're supposed to be walking in the Spirit. So when you walk in the Spirit, you don't think about your body much. You don't think about your flesh much. You don't think about what's not working so good, what's not as good, what doesn't look so good. You're not real worried about your nose and the size of it. And the, you know, you're not real worried about those things. And you're certainly, not that we don't get up and try to do the best we can with it. I'm not saying that. But on the other hand, we're not letting it limit us in any way. Amen? Okay. And so, uh, so we, uh, until the perfect comes, someday we'll be perfect spirit and soul and body. And right now we have to accept that we're perfect in God's eyes because we're spirit beings. And here's the thing. We need to renew our soul. Did y'all ever read Romans 12 too where it says we're transformed by the renewing of our mind? I really think sometimes we interpret that scripture wrong. And we think of renewing our mind as just our brain, just our mind. That we just, uh, in other words, we just think differently. Or we just, uh, have, we just know scripture. We just know what the word says. But you know, folks, we don't just need our mind renewed. We need our whole soul renewed. We need to be renewed in our will. I've known people that had a renewed mind. They knew what the Word said, but their will wasn't renewed to God. I've known people that had a renewed mind. They knew what the Word said, but bless God, their feelings weren't renewed. We need a renewal in our feelings. In other words, we need to not only renew our minds, but renew our, our, our will and our emotions, the, every part of our soul, so that our emotions are lining up with the Word of God, so that our will is being submitted and lining up to the Word of God. We don't just know what the Word says. Amen? Y'all got me? Hallelujah. Okay, I want to talk now. I've kind of laid a little bit of foundation about, about how God sees us as perfect and so forth and how we're to look at ourselves as perfect and walk in the Spirit. And I want to talk to you tonight about how I believe that perfectionism is defeating a lot of people in the body of Christ. You may be surprised because you may think of a perfectionist as somebody that has to... Now, this is a perfectionist. Now, and that may be the only way you've ever seen perfectionism, but I'm going to show you perfectionism another way and how it's defeating the body of Christ. A lot of people in the body of Christ tonight. Um, the problem of perfectionism is this. One of the things is, have you ever heard this old saying that says, if you can't do it right, don't do it at all? That will defeat you. That is a lie from the enemy. The enemy promotes perfectionism to keep the body of Christ to moving, for, moving forward. If you can't do it right, don't do it at all. So how many times have we said, well, I can't, re I can't study much of the Bible today, so I just won't do it at all. I, won't pray. I can't pray much today. I don't have much time. I can't pray much, so I just won't pray at all. We defeat ourselves with perfectionism. Hallelujah. Un an unreachable standard. Have you ever, how many have you ever been said to by your mom? Or maybe you said it to your kids. They, you told them to clean their room and you, they walk in there and say, you call that clean? And we've set a standard so high that we defeat ourselves and defeat our kids with perfectionism. Hallelujah. We'll talk about that more later. You know, perfection, people that are, have this perfection problem, they're never really happy. They always feel like something's not quite right, like they don't quite measure up, that, that things are just not complete in their lives. You can get so sidetracked by perfectionism. Let me tell, give you an example of that. Let's say, for instance, you've got three hours and you're going to clean your house that morning. I'll just talk to that way. And, you, and si perfectionism will sidetrack you. You need to clean your house. Come, company's coming. But you could go to hang up some laundry and you go in your closet to hang up some laundry and all of a sudden you see something in your closet that you spend two hours on putting shoes up or something or organizing your shoe boxes. You've just been sidetracked by perfectionism, caught, defeated yourself, caused yourself not to accomplish what you were supposed to accomplish that day, which was clean your whole house and get it ready for company. Not to the bare walls, clean your house, but just clean your house. You know what I'm saying? And prepare yourselves for what's ahead. Feel good about yourself. Feel good about your house, but you defeated yourself because you were sidetracked by perfectionism. Hallelujah. Y'all don't amen so much. <laughs> How about when we miss God's best because of perfectionism? How about when we know we're called to something? We may know God's asked us to do something, but we're always waiting for our, all our ducks to get lined up right. 
Always waiting for the ducks to get all lined up in a row. They never will. You're going to be defeated by perfectionism. You know, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes that he that regards the wind and the clouds will not sow. You're never going to get it where it's just right to sow. If you've, you're, you, if you've got this thing in you for perfectionism, and all of us do. And you, know, you see, we've just thought, oh, there's just that one personality style that's perfectionist. I'm not a perfectionist, but I can guarantee you in some area the devil's defeating you with perfectionism. Hallelujah. You know, uh, uh, God's asked us to do something. God's asked us to launch out, leave, go somewhere. But everything's not lining up just right. Everything's not working just like we thought it would. Everything's not happening just as soon as we thought it would. And we defeat our, ourselves, abort our faith, abort the mission God called us on because we thought it should happen faster. We thought doors should open quicker. We, You know, all those things. You know what I'm saying. We launch out in faith, we sow a seed, we believe God for something, it doesn't happen as fast, and perfectionism says, well, it should have happened in this length of time. I don't know why we got to thinking we're the eternal timekeeper, and we get to say when it should have happened, but we have this little clock in us that says, I'm willing to wait this long, but no longer, and we say, well, that didn't work because it didn't happen this year, it didn't happen that year. Or it didn't happen just like I said I thought it would. We got a church full, not here, but a church body of Christ, full of, of disappointed people even over uh, the things we've said about the years. You know, they said this year's a year of overflow. Uh, uh, heaven, heaven, days of heaven in 97. And I don't know what all we've had. We've had something for every year. And people have been disappointed in that. Why? Because they made themselves the timekeeper. They, made, they even decided how that, what God meant by that. And I'm convinced that God meant sometimes other things than we interpreted it. We put our own spin on it. We heard overflow last year in 2005, and we said, bless God, I'm going to have overflow. Well, you know, maybe God meant it a little different than that. Maybe he meant for you to sow all you could and get yourself to the point of overflow. Or just consider this. Maybe he was going to apply it differently to every one of our lives. Maybe we had to go to God and find out what overflow meant for us. Hallelujah. I, one thing I do know, and this is one thing we need to judge in tonight, God is good, God is right, God doesn't do us wrong, God doesn't make mistakes, and the prophets of God are speaking His Word. It's, not, it's, not, it's, it's getting tangled up as it goes down the pipe. Amen. And one thing if we'll just always come back to is God, it don't matter what my circumstance look like, it may not have turned out like I thought, but one thing for sure, this is right. This is true. Uh, um, so, missing God's bet. How about this? How about those of you that can't rest until you just crash and burn? Hallelujah. How about putting pressure on our kids because of the perfectionism in us? Not that we shouldn't train our kids. Boy, I believe in, in, in child training. But how many of us, we defeat ourselves in child training because of perfectionism. Amen. I will talk about more of that later. <clears throat> how about this when nothing's ever good enough, so we're always wanting more. We get the three-bedroom house we're believing for, but it's not good enough. How about this? How about, I, I'm going to tell you something. Perfectionism causes people to be late to church and late for appointments. It's perfectionism. A lot of times. Uh, how about this? Robbing you of time to love and play with your family. Well, I don't have time for that now. Uh, how about this? Uh, how about when perfectionism makes husbands feel like they're married to their mothers? Is that wrong or what? But how about when wives feel like they're married to Hitler because of perfectionism? <laughs> Hallelujah. Perfectionism causes us to find fault with people. We judge everybody else and, and, say, and see all their faults, but we're real easy on ourselves a lot of times. Amen? Okay, here give me, I'm going to give you some signs of perfectionism. When you spend three hours cleaning the grout in your shower with a toothbrush. Hallelujah. Especially when that wasn't the priority of the day. Now sometimes, you know, that need, may need to be done. But you just need to make sure you're not neglecting something else because you're, you're in this 
you're in this perfectionistic mode. I know I used to have a lady in Seminole that was in my church, and she was a wonderful cleaner, had an anointing to clean. So I hired her to clean my house and um, enjoyed having her clean my house, but I had to work on her after about a month because in, in West Texas, we have hard water. We call it hard water. In other words, it has a lot of minerals in it, and it, it puts hard water deposits on everything. So your shower doors not, aren't clear because there's hard water deposits. And she didn't like hard water. She came from Nebraska. She wasn't used to it. Hallelujah. And so uh, she would, uh, uh, she, I, I think I was paying her to clean my house. I think it was a lot smaller house than I have now, but I think three hours is what I'd allotted or something for her to clean the house, which is what most other cleaning ladies were able to do it in. And so I was paying her for three hours, but I would get home and she barely got the bathroom cleaned. Why? Because she got so focused on getting the hard water deposits off of my shower doors. And I had to say, Becky, I don't want you to do that. Clean the whole house. Let's don't worry about the hard water deposits. Let's just kind of get it clean. You know what I'm saying? And uh, <clears throat> oh, hallelujah, some of you are looking at me like, well, I don't understand this. Well, you know, maybe you need to take a trip out to West Texas, stay there about a month, and you'd know. All our glasses in the dishwasher, hey, we have foggy glasses in West Texas. We don't have clear, clear crystal. If you want clear crystal, you ain't going to put them in the dishwasher in West Texas because they're going to be foggy looking. And we have, like Barry said, his friend said, we have good water in West Texas. It's in a bottle. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You, actually, you get used to drinking it. It tastes fine to me, but not in, not in Odessa and not in Fort Worth. Fort Worth has the horriblest water to drink. Anyway, <clears throat> so how about this? When you can't read an essay without looking for mistakes. How about this? When you tell your kids you don't have time to play with them. That could be a sign of perfectionism. How about when you're always changing everything? You never get finished with anything. How about when you're always moving the furniture? Always. And I think change is good sometimes, but you know what I'm talking about. There's people that just can't rest. How about when you have to move all the furniture to vacuum? You know, we used to have a lady in our church in West Texas. We'll just preach on West Texas tonight. How about that? And I had a, church, a lady in our church in West Texas, and Bertha. Bertha could not clean her house unless she had time to take every book out of the book, every bookcase. So she didn't clean house. Because she didn't. Now, that's perfectionism defeating you. Hallelujah. How about when you have to move everything to dust? That was my next point. How about when you can't throw a magazine away because you might miss something? Anybody got that problem? How about when you can't walk out the door without doing one more thing? Make you late, won't it? How about when you can't clean the whole house and won't do anything? Hallelujah. That is one of them. Here, I'm going to give you a new little motto for the ladies, men too. You can apply this to the yard. You can apply it with anything, to, to anything. How, I'm going to give you a new motto. Change your life. Housework done incorrectly still blesses your family. Write that down. Don't just take it and look at me like a dog with a new pan. Write that down. Housework done incorrectly still blesses your family. Housework that's not done perfectly is still a blessing. Yard work that's not done perfectly is still a blessing. Amen. Hallelujah. If your house is trashed tonight, the likelihood is that you're not a slob. Say, that is good news. It's likely you're a perfectionist. See, we've said everybody has a trashed house is a slob but a lot of times it's not that it's their perfectionist they just can't they can't do it all so they don't do anything amen amen i'm helping you tonight now if if you have a if you're fighting depression it may be because you're a perfectionist perfectionism keeps us from making things better in song of solomon chapter 2 verse 15 this is a real important scripture it says take us the foxes the little foxes that spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes. It's the little foxes that spoil things. But I want to tell you something. It's also the little foxes that are a blessing. Luke 19, 17 says, And he said unto him, Jesus said this, Well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in very little, in the little things, have thou authority over ten cities. Because you've done some little things. How many of you know this? This is going to be a revelation. Little things add up to big things. A whole bunch of little things will add up to big things. Now, I am preaching this sermon because 
I've been being set free from perfectionism. I've defeated myself in perfectionism for a lot of years. In, not in every area, but in some areas. I'll tell you one area that, that has come against me is perfectionism is I have squelched creativity in my life because of my perfectionism. Because, I, like for instance, you know, I know y'all might not believe this about me, but I've had three years of home economics in high school and majored in home economics in college. And, uh, and, uh, Hallelujah. Got the Home Economics Award, got prizes for my sewing. But, you know, in my younger years when I wanted to sew, actually I've been kind of set free from that and don't even want to sew anymore. But in my younger years when I wanted to sew, I couldn't sew because perfectionism. I couldn't let my creativity flow because I couldn't get the, I, could, I know y'all are looking at me strange, but I couldn't get the sewing machine out because I had to put it up that night because it messed up the house. And perfection, <laughs> perfectionism defeated me. You know, uh, Pastor, uh, that made me think of another thing. Uh, and, and I don't necessarily think this is a bad thing. I think that, you know, I just don't think men should wear their old muddy clothes into the house. I just don't think that they need to take a pride in their house too and not ruin the house. But boy, lunch, he had to strip down to his skivvies, you know, and to eat lunch at our house. And Pastor said he could always, in West Texas, yeah, when he was a farmer, let me, let me clarify. When he was a farmer and worked in red mud, he didn't get to come in the house in that. He stripped off in the yard. I would actually, you, I didn't, you know, you couldn't put his clothes in my washer. I had to wash the clothes off with a hose and get the red mud off of them before you could put them in the washing machine. Or it would ruin the washing machine because there's so much mud and red sand. And so, but, you know, he used to tell me, he said, well, I can tell on the day you've cleaned house because I was grippy that day. Don't do that. You know, don't touch that. You know, how many of that could be a defeat to marriage and perfectionism? You know it could be, especially. But only good, the only thing reason it didn't defeat is because his mother, his, her nickname's the warden. She was a step above me. She has what we called at that time uh, the no-no room. They actually, the kids, the three boys called it the no-no room. That was the living room. You didn't even walk in the no-no room. And when I started dating him, you took your shoes off before you walked in her back door. I don't know if that's really such a bad thing. She had three boys. I mean, that might be a good thing. I'm just saying uh, he didn't get too mad at me and want to divorce me because I was being kind of hard on him. But uh, hallelujah, because he had had a mother that was worse. Hallelujah. Uh, anyway, so, so, so little things add up to big things. If we will just go and do the little things, hallelujah, we'll get a lot done. For God and for the home, hallelujah, if we'll just do little things. You, you know, it goes back to that. Uh, uh, people that are successful don't necessarily tackle the big things. They tackle the little things, and a whole bunch of little things add up to big things. Amen? Uh, how do you, it goes back to that, how do you eat an elephant? You eat him one bite at a time. And, you know, that really has helped me. But, it's a, you know, we've been brainwashed by the devil to think, if I can't do it right, I don't do it all. So I didn't. Can't do it right, I won't do it at all, so I didn't. So I've squelched creativity on my own life by perfectionism. And, you know, when I was younger, God had to get me out of perfectionism because it was defeating me. You know, one of the first things God did when we got baptized in the Holy Spirit is call us to have Bible study in our home. And so just like we have church here, we had about 25, 30 people. It, it built up to that, come to our home every Tuesday night. Was it Tuesday? No, Thursday night. On every Thursday night and bring their kids with them. And here now, Miss Perfectionist, them kids might tear up my house. And you know, I had to get set free from that. And one of the things God showed me, he says, Debbie, you don't have anything that if, 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 if they tear it up, I'll just replace it. Me and him had a deal. They tear it up, and I'll just, you tear it, if they tear it. Now, that didn't mean that we didn't supervise and just let them wreck havoc, you know, swing from the chandeliers and the curtains and rip the stuff off the wall. We didn't do that. But on the other hand, we could relax because God, I didn't have anything God wouldn't replace if they tore it up. Amen. See, but I was, it was temptation to be defeated by perfectionism. The same thing when I got the new car. Remember, I got the new Suburban. And, and first thing, three days later, a brand new Suburban, my mom and her husband said, can we borrow it? We won't pull the camper and go to Rio Dose and go camping. Well, perfectionism could have defeated me from sowing a seed. It tried to the whole time they were gone. I had to fight off. But you know, I got free from that and got where I could lend my car. I've lent my car a lot of times. Just say, oh, oh take our car. Hallelujah. And it wouldn't bother me at all to let anybody, not, well, not anybody. <laughs> let me qualify that. <clears throat> Hallelujah. But there's a lot of people I'd trust to say, oh, yeah, take my car. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. But I had to be set free from that. 
Hallelujah. Because perfectionism could defeat me. Hallelujah. Uh, how about this? Uh, I can't do this now. I don't have time. You know, you can defeat yourself with that. Because you may not have time for the whole thing, like Bible study. You might not have time for an in-depth Greek Bible study, but you might have time for a little study. You might not have time to, you know, to get into a, a, a prayer where you're caught up into the third heaven. You may not have time for that. But how many of you believe you could take a book and confess some things? Hallelujah. You might, or you could, you could take five minutes and pray, and that'd be better than nothing. But a lot of Christians are defeating themselves with the all or nothing. And that's perfectionism. How about this? This house has to be cleaned all at the same time. Now that was me. It was like I remember saying this. Well, I don't feel like my house is clean if the whole thing isn't done. So how much sometimes, you know, you could put a lot. Now I, that wasn't so bad for me because I had my kids five and a half years apart. I have a husband who was raised by Attila the Hunnis. And uh, <laughs> I'm not saying, ooh, delete that. But the warden, you know. And she, boy, so she's like, and so he's clean. Let me tell you, he's clean. He's clean, and he, I never have picked up his clothes. Probably a good thing with my personality style. It would probably have been a train wreck. Hallelujah. My dad, he throws his, he comes home from the bank, takes off his suit, and throws it in the floor. Now that's him. My dad gets up from the supper table. Now, when the Pastor gets up from the supper table, he starts helping me and Rita clean the dishes off the table. Because that's how he was raised. But my dad gets up to the supper table. He goes and sits in the chair. And then he'll holler in there, Michael, come sit down. That's woman's work. That's what he says, isn't it? Hallelujah. He's a card. He is. You know, I would just give you a piece of advice, men. Even if you think that, be better not to say it. You'd get along. Now, Rita, it, because in our generation, Rita, that's a whole different generation, and she takes it. You know, but in our generation, I wouldn't say it. <laughs> Hallelujah. I just keep that to myself, even if I thought that. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Uh, how about this perfectionism? That's not the way mama did it. Husbands, how about saying, how about you kept bringing, well, my mama didn't do it that way. My mama didn't cook it that way. Well, that's perfectionism, and you can hurt your wife's feelings with the perfectionism. Amen. How about this? I can't clean my sink because the dishwasher's full. How about, I mean, what's with that? How does that have anything? What does cleaning your sink have? But, but we tell our, that may be not the right example for you, but we tell ourselves little things like that all the time that keep us from doing the little things which would cause us to be victorious. Amen? Uh, amen. I'm, I'm asking the Holy Spirit to apply this to your life, the way. Um, how about this? Anything less than perfect is not acceptable. Anything, anybody ever had that, that thought? Well, you know, even in the body of Christ, I've heard a preacher say, anything that's not quiet's not right. Oh, well, hallelujah. I don't know about you, but I've had a lot of things that were a blessing, but they weren't quiet. Maybe they weren't quite what I believed for, weren't, weren't quite what I, weren't quite what, you know, I saw in my mind. But, you know, hallelujah, you know, it may be a step. It might be a step. It may not be quite what you saw, but Hallelujah. I know the house I'm in now is believing for a Mark 10, 29 house. Had my scripture, Mark 10, 29. I'm confessing Mark 10, 29. That thing just came to me so easy. But you know, it wasn't quiet. Because one thing I needed was an island. I needed an island in my kitchen. Pastor says, I don't know what for. I wanted to look at it. I had to have a double oven. I got the double oven. He said, I don't know what for. Well, we use it at Thanksgiving. Christmas, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm not to the point where I store... My, my pots and pans in my oven. Some people say I just use it for storage. I'm not there. But anyway, uh, so, um, but you know, if it, it is worth doing. It is good enough. Sometimes it is, the, it is a step. It doesn't have to be perfect to be a good step in the right direction. How many women don't have the man, don't have a man yet because they got such a high standard that Jesus couldn't qualify? I actually know somebody like that in West Texas. And I can tell you, I wouldn't want to be married to her. Well, I mean, even if I was a man. I don't want to. But you know what I'm saying? She, sometimes these women who are not so perfect set a woo, way high standard. Hallelujah. And Jesus can't, he's looking through all the earth to answer your prayer, and he can't find one. 
You know, y'all know what I'm saying? Uh, how about that's not good enough. You can do better than that. How many of us have been told that as children? Don't raise your hand. But sometimes that's kind of kind of thing that we don't want to tell our children. That's not good enough. You can do better than that. And, and you know, uh, uh, sometimes those kind of things were told us. I can't remember if I said it to my kids or not. I repent if I did. I'm sorry. I didn't know this. But uh, anyway, <coughs> how about this? Um, let me give you a new key. And this is going to shock you from, I, I believe in excellence now. Don't use this against me. Okay? Anything worth doing is worth doing wrong. Write that down. Don't look at me like a dog with a new pant. Write that down. Anything worth doing is worth doing wrong. In other words, what I'm saying is take a stab at it. You know, if you can't, you know, some people like, well, that's the defeat. If anything worth doing is worth doing right, it's like, okay, to clean the kitchen, I have to empty the dishwasher, load the dishwasher, wash the cabinets, wash the countertops, wash the appliances, and sweep and mop the floor. No, that, that will defeat you. Anything worth doing is worth doing wrong, or worth doing partially, we could say, or worth doing just part of. And you know, you, you, can, hit, you can hit another stab at it later. You know what I'm saying? You, you, are y'all with me? How about this? Not reading the Bible because you don't have time for much. I read that. I said that. Not praying because you don't have a long time. How about this? Won't pray publicly because it might not be a good prayer. How about that? No, I won't pray publicly because it might not be a good prayer. I want to tell you something. Some of the best prayers I ever prayed were sloppy. But they were heartfelt. They were sincere. They, they, they really, they were like Pastor said, they weren't asking amiss. They were asking according to God's will. But I didn't get a good utterance. I didn't get a good flow on it. You, you know, here, let me tell you, in a, the perfect prayer, the perfect prayer is our Father. Now that's one that's really got some good on it. Our Father, we come to you today. And some of you won't pray in public because you want to pray like that. But that's, that's, that's religion. You know, I got a new definition for religion this week. Return to bondage. Hallelujah. And so, you know, some of the best prayers are just slopped out there from the heart. Amen. Well, I can't go to prayer back there because I don't know how to pray like they pray. That's okay. Just slop it out there. Amen. How about this? Don't speak to people about the Lord because you don't know what to say or you might say the wrong thing. That's perfectionism defeating us in the body of Christ. I like what David Albritton said in this church. He came when we were on 65th Street, evangelist. It stuck with me all these years. He said, I don't remember nothing else he said, but he said this. He said about witnessing, he said, do it messy. Just do it messy. And I like that. Amen. I believe God, I think God honors the sloppy prayers, but they're heartfelt, they're sincere, they're right on target. And we know that because how many of you know kids can get the hand, they can get uh, God's attention and they may not say it just right. You know what I'm saying. Uh, uh, how about this? Won't take a ministry position at church because something might come up. Something might come up. Well, yeah. Hallelujah. Probably will. I won't take a ministry position at church because I might not be able to be there all the time. Well, hello. That's just perfectionism defeating you. Keeping you out of the will of God, keeping you from taking a step forward in God. How about this? I've done this. I don't know how many times. How about won't commit to someone that has asked you to go somewhere because something better might come up. That's being defeated by perfectionism. Now, I'll tell you what, Pastor, and I've done many, many, many times. Maybe in the first part of the week we'd say, you know, Friday's our day off. And so Friday night, we'd say, like maybe on Monday or Tuesday, we'd say, we ought to ask somebody to come over and play cards or something Friday night. But in me, my little perfectionism thing would rise up and defeat me and say, yeah, but something might come up. Might get a better offer. So didn't ask anybody and get to Friday night and say, sure wish we had something to do. <laughs> sure is boring tonight. Man, I wish we had something to do tonight. Well, you want to ask someone, so well, it's too late now. Well, that could even be perfectionism. Hallelujah. I don't know. Some, I know some people aren't spontaneous. I know we had a church member one time said, well, Pastor, we really need three days' notice, you know, because we asked him to go do something. But me and Pastor are pretty spontaneous. You just call us at 6 o'clock, and we probably, you know, my name is Go. My mother's middle name is Granny Go. And I got one. My, they used to say about my little great-grandma, she had one foot in there all the time. Well, I kind of got one foot in there all the time. I like to go. Amen. 
Hallelujah. So just go ahead and call. I'm spontaneous. Uh, okay. How about this? Won't step out in faith because you might fail. That's perfectionism defeating you. Knowing God wants you to do something, but you might fail. How about this? Someone might reject you. That's perfectionism defeating you. Somebody might think bad of you. Somebody, what would they think? That's perfectionism. How about this? When you throw your whole diet away because you ate one wrong thing. I mean, you caved and you ate a cookie. And then you say, oh, well, what's the use? And so you just eat everything in the house. <laughs> Where you know you could have recovered from the cookie pretty easy, but you defeated yourself by perfectionism. I don't know why, how I know all about that, but I do. <laughs> how about this? How about people that have disqualified themselves completely from church and the things of God because they made one mistake or they, had, they failed? Maybe they had adultery. Maybe they had something. And they're totally out of church because they've disqualified themselves from the things of God. Perfectionism's defeating them. I know ministers that are letting perfectionism because they messed up defeat them from being in the ministry. God's not saying, I'm going to throw you away. You can't do this anymore because you messed up. He's not saying that. Now, granted, you may have to get on a different track and run a different course, but that doesn't mean you can't be used of God. Hallelujah. How about this? Uh, um, how about you don't clean your car because it's old and you need a new one? Help us, Jesus. Don't go to the car wash because your paint's faded. How about this? When you can't love someone if they're not, they aren't perfect. And not even just talking about husbands and wives and boyfriends and girlfriends and, and finding your husband. But I know I'll just be, this is true confessions tonight, but I used to couldn't show my church members love if I knew there was things in their life that weren't right. Like, for instance, if I knew somebody wasn't praying and they needed to be praying and I knew they were just not, you know, I know we had a leader in Texas and, and, and she was n never praying and I'm like, it was really hard. I couldn't even like say, I like your dress. You have on a pretty dress. I couldn't show her any approval because she wasn't meeting up in this other area. That is perfectionism defeating me big time. And I had to get over that. You know, I had to figure out, first of all, there's no perfect church members. There's a scripture in Proverbs that says you can have a clean stall, but you're going to have no horses or cows if you want the stall clean. You want your stall perfectly clean, you're going to have to get rid of every person. I mean, pastor can't even be a member of this church. If, I mean, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, you can just get the lines drawn so hard. And so I got over that. Hallelujah. And I really do love you and approve of you. How about this? Won't buy new clothes because you want to lose weight. That is perfectionism defeating you. I believe God can afford clothes at this weight. And if you happen to lose some weight, he can afford some later too. And some people, you know, you think, well, that's okay because, yeah, it might be okay if you're on one of those crash diets and you're pretty sure you're going to lose 100 pounds in the next, maybe you had your stomach stapled. You know, you might not want to go out and buy new clothes today because in three months you probably won't be the same size. But short of that, just go ahead and buy the new clothes. Amen. I mean, now think about how perfectionism will defeat you. How about this? When you won't dress up and fix up because you've gained weight. I, don't, I, I know more women that live in sweats. Now, not anybody here, but I've known women that live in sweats. They won't dress up. They won't fix up. They won't put on makeup because they don't feel good about themselves because they've gained weight. It's so, it's so self-defeating and it's so perfectionistic. You'd think that's not being a perfectionist, to be sloppy, but it is being a perfectionist kind of in, in a warped, opposite sort of way. It's like if you're overweight, you can't put on makeup. Huh? Or women that won't get their hair cut and won't do things. How about this? Um, I've known this. I need to paint my living room, but I can't decide what color. That's perfectionism defeating you. I've known people go two and three years needing to paint their living room, and they just don't know what color. They're afraid they're going to miss it, afraid they're going to get the wrong color, so they don't paint. They just live with ugly, yucky, dirty walls because I don't know what color to paint. Well, duh. Just go to Lowe's. Find one you sort of like and slap it on the wall and do like I did. Pastors painted one bedroom and uh, where Chris and Colin are living now three times. 
I guess that was, that was another perfectionistic thing. But I was trying to get this gold right here, and I was missing it. You know, so finally I just resorted to taupe, and then I found the gold. Hallelujah. Anyway, so, uh, <clears throat> but how about that? That's perfectionism defeating you. How about people that, you know, well, I'd fix up my house, and I'd work on my house, and I'd fix up my yard if I had a nice house, a brick house, a three-bedroom house. But, boy, I'd just live in this trailer or whatever, so I won't do anything to my house. Well, I don't know about you, but I've seen some marvelous trailers. Mobile homes. I've seen little travel trailers down at Gulf Shores, and they had little plants everywhere and little lights strung. And I'm like, you know, somebody just cared. You can defeat yourself with perfectionism. How about when people won't come to church because they don't have anything to wear? Now, really, that's perfectionism defeating people because really and truly, it's not that they don't have anything to wear. It's not like they're going to have to come in their underwear. It's not like they're going to have to come in their pajamas. I guarantee you if somebody died tomorrow, they'd have something to put on to go to the funeral. That is perfectionism defeating people. Hallelujah. How about this? How about perfectionism causing us to stay where we are? Not moving forward, not growing, not changing. Because can't got them ducks all lined up in a row yet. Amen. How about this? Can't let somebody help you because you can't do every... You can, how about can't let somebody help you because you can do everything better? Now, I've known lots of women, I say lots, 10 or more. They'd like, well, you know, man, I just, this housework, this housework, this housework. And, you know, they could truly afford it, and I'd say, well, why don't you hire a housekeeper? Well, yeah, you know, but I do it better than they do. Well, yeah, but what does that have to do with anything? That's perfectionism defeating you from being blessed. I found that having a housekeeper, she don't do everything I'd do. She don't get every little corner I'd get. But, you know, I'm free now because she does the big, the middles. I can have time to get in the corners. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And, you know, there's another thing. You know, sometimes we ought to clean our corners, but there's a lot of days when what you don't see won't hurt you. You know, how about when you can't have anybody over because your house is such a wreck? There's a, I, heard, I read this somewhere, that the definition of chaos, the acronym for chaos is can't have anybody over syndrome. And a lot of times that's just perfectionism. Because you, you're, you're just not doing the little stuff that all adds up to big stuff. Hallelujah. And besides all that, <coughs> people are less judgmental than you would think and would like to come and spend time with you. How about those that can't have anybody over because they're not as good a cook as somebody? How about those that can't have anybody over because their house isn't decorated as good as somebody? That's perfectionism defeating you. I mean, serve hot dogs. I know you can cook that good. Not anything better than a good old chili dog. Hallelujah. Now that's home cooking at its finest. <laughs> some kid, you know, and there's some of our kids that think that's gourmet. <laughs> he did come from McDonald's. It's gourmet. You know, mom really, mom threw on the dog tonight, and that's a pun. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. How about, um, how about this? Don't train your kids to clean house because they wouldn't do it as good as you. That's perfectionism defeating you and defeating your kids. Because when you don't train your kids, you are robbing them. You are, oh my Lord. You, you, I, you, I don't want my sons marrying your daughters. I don't want my grandkids marrying your kids. I don't want, and, and I'll tell them, I don't care if you, they go to this church, them people aren't trained right. I can't recommend you if you don't have trained kids that can, they can clean house for themselves. My boys can clean house. In fact, Colin said at lunch they got to go home and clean my bathrooms. Chris has certain responsibilities. They both work. She works. Hallelujah. They're both in the ministry. They both work. Hallelujah. Amen. But, man, you do your kids a disservice when you don't train them. I don't feel sorry for women. Mom, I've just got so much to do. I just can't keep up with the housework. And they've got three kids laying on the couch. No, it's not going to be as good as you do. Hallelujah. No, it's not. It won't. But it sure beats nothing. And it's so good training. Hallelujah. Amen. How about this when neatness is a priority over creativity? 
and we already talked about this, can't enjoy your house or let others enjoy it. How about when you get upset over making a mistake, you're overly hard on yourself. Just whip yourself over making a mistake. That's perfectionism. Are you able to do your best and let go regardless of the outcome? I'm preaching myself right here. Am I able to, let, to do my best and then let go regardless of the outcome? How about when, you, when someone lets you down? Listen to this. Can you see that sometimes your expectations may have been a little too high? Hallelujah. How about this when we withhold love from people because they might find out we're human? In other words, we don't let anybody get real close. That's perfectionism. I don't want anybody to really know me. How about when you feel guilty for being carefree? That's perfectionism. Anybody ever felt guilty for being happy when your husband died five years ago? But you really felt guilt? That's perfectionism. You might not have thought as that. Or feel guilty for having fun when your mother has cancer. That's perfectionism. How about being perfectionistic in a sport or game so that you can't enjoy playing? Gotta win. Overly competitive, com perfectionist. Perfection can be just an illusion. I want to turn tonight, and we're going to close with this, to Galatians chapter 5. I, that's all I had as far as examples, but I'm trusting the Holy Spirit spoke to you. Hallelujah, because he's, he, he's dealing with me about defeating myself with, uh, uh, with perfectionism. You know, there's people that like, well, I couldn't pastor a church unless I had 200 people. Well, hallelujah. You know, there's preachers that think like that. They're defeating themselves with perfectionism. Can't, I, 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 I would launch out and do this ministry, but I would have to know that God was going to do so-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so. Well, you'll never know that God's going to do so-and-so and so-and-so. He'll probably do it just totally different than you thought He would. But there's a lot of people held back by those kind of thinking. Galatians 5, verse 22. We're going to close with it. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Our spirits are perfect. Our spirits have perfect fruit inside our spirits. We have perfect fruit. We have perfect love, perfect joy, perfect peace. The only thing is, fruit has to go through your soul to get out. And so fruit, and one thing about fruit is it has to grow. Fruit has to grow. That's a, that's, a, that's a characteristic of fruit, that fruit has to grow. And I'll tell you something, fruit doesn't have to be perfect to be very good. For instance, I think most of you would say, this is a perfectly good orange, that any one of you in here would be willing to eat this orange, because I didn't inject it with anything or anything like that, you know. It's a perfectly good orange, but I want you to notice something. It's really not. I mean, it's perfectly good, but it's, it's not perfect. It's got a flaw, doesn't it? I want to tell you, you may not, your love may not all be coming out perfectly. Your joy, but it's still good. Your joy, your peace, it's all still good. The things that are coming out of you, you need to just let yourself go. Hallelujah. And enjoy yourself and just... Enjoy other people. Their love may not be coming out perfectly. You may be looking at them and, and this may be really, you know, the devil likes to, he likes to take people's flaws and he likes to, right, you know, notice, 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 notice how imperfect they are. And there might be 99 good things, but the devil will be, you know, because this is a perfectly good, I mean, perfectly edible. Perfectly, oh, these are actually very good oranges. I recommend them. I mean, this is very tasty. I ate one this afternoon. Very tasty. You would enjoy it. And we could enjoy so much more in the body of Christ if we didn't have to have everything so perfect in ourselves and for ourselves and all our conditions so perfect before we just obeyed God and got on the promises, before we just loved people and, and just accepted people into our, you know, took our walls down and accepted them into our, our circle. Let me into your circle. I'm not perfect. I may hurt you. I mean, if you ate that little spot right there, you probably wouldn't like it a lot. You'd probably say, eh. 
And so, you know, when you're with me, you may get some little things that, you know, that part wasn't so hot. Well, just forget that and eat the rest. Amen. You're not perfect. Let's let, let's, let's let things not be perfect and enjoy what, what we've got. We've got a great church. Not everything's perfect. Amen. You've got... You, 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 let people into your home. Hallelujah. Let people into your, your sphere. Hallelujah. Let them see you. You're going to be surprised. See, a lot of it's an illusion of the devil. They're not going to like me if they really knew. No, the truth is they'd probably really like you. A lot of people are just frustrated because you won't let them pass the, the wall you've got up. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Look, how many people, we've actually been told this, are at at church today in Tuscaloosa County. I know some people that are filled, baptized in the Holy Ghost, believe like we believe, used to go to this church, but they stay home on Sunday morning. Why? Because we weren't perfect. They saw we weren't perfect. And they actually came to us on a Sunday morning after church and they said, and this was back a while ago, and they said, well, we don't agree with any, everything. Well, so? I didn't agree with everything about them either. You know? <clears throat> but that doesn't really have anything to do with anything. So they're staying home because they're looking for the perfect which don't exist. And so they're just staying home because no church in Tuscaloosa measures up. They just stay home. I saw them recently. I'm like, oh, you're the saddest looking creature I ever, creatures I ever saw on the face of the earth. Because, and they, but they defeat themselves. It's perfectionism. Can't go to church. Can't, you know, just can't, can't function because of perfectionism. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I mean, it's true. It's true. It's really sad. It's really sad. <clears throat> because this is a perfectly good church. Does it have imperfections? Oh, yeah. Even the pastor's wife said doesn't like everything. You mean you say, I don't like that. I probably don't like it either. We're probably in agreement. Sometimes the pastor don't like it and he don't know what to do about it. Or he doesn't feel like it's time to do anything about it. Or he feels like his hands are tied about doing something about it. You know, sometimes we don't know everything that's undercover. I know I've told this story, but one time we had cell groups. Oh, Jesus. And we had, I think we actually had two cell groups. We had three and we got down to two. You know, when you're that small, your whole church is a cell group. <laughs> so, you know, why have them? But we didn't know that then. Now we know it. And so, uh, so one of our cell leaders, I forget what, oh, he got a D, DUI, driving under, under drive, you know, he was intoxicated while driving. And so, you know, we didn't want to let him be cell leader, not that anymore. I mean, he needed to work through that problem first, not we weren't throwing him out or condemning him. We, and he still stayed in the church and everything. But we closed down the cell groups. Well, a lot of people got mad. Because that, why? Because that wasn't what they liked. They didn't like it, but you can't get up in the pulpit and say, uh, Joe got a DUI, so we're going to close down the cell groups. No, you have to protect people sometimes. And so the, it was better just not to say anything and take the heat from the other people that, you know, that didn't like it because they really enjoyed their cell group. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Well, things aren't always going to be perfect. Hallelujah. How many people have quit their job because things weren't perfect at work? And maybe they could have gone far if they could have just pressed on past uh, the imperfections. How many of you know there's no perfect place to work in Tuscaloosa County? Amen. Even during the millennial reign, if you have to work, and maybe you will just be full-time ministry, I don't know, but that's work. But you know what we're going to be dealing with is people that are not, we're going to be getting people born again that got born during the tribulation and so forth. They're going to be imperfect. So even then, hallelujah. Even then, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. A thousand years, a thousand years of imperfect people. But we can all just get together and admire our perfect bodies because we're going to be in our resurrected. Hallelujah. And we'll say, oh, you're so pretty. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. But hallelujah, you know, just defeating yourself over perfectionism. I just don't want to do that anymore. No. And I'm letting the Holy Spirit show me when I'm being perfectionistic about something. And it's not just about, oh, everything has to be perfect at my house. Hallelujah. But I'm really free now. You know, I, ain't nothing you can tear up at my house that God won't replace. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, and for those that are true perfectionists, that's really freeing. But, hallelujah. Praise God. Let's stand up. I know this was really different, but...
How many of you know God wants to help us on all levels?